Let's praise him together, Jesus. We give all grace, all honor, all mercy. Lord, thank you for all your mercy and grace and for your love for us. Thank you for allowing us to worship you, Jesus. Amen. If you could all stand for one more moment. I know we've been standing for a while, but I'm going to read one verse of Scripture out of 2 Kings. Welcome to our guests that are here, those of you that are listening online. And to all of uh, our church family, you've got a whole bunch of church family that's on vacation uh, this week, and so hope they have a great time. Second uh, Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. Again, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you're listening online, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, verse 9 says, again, this is Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9. It says, and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said, to Elisha, ask what I shall do, what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So Elisha asked Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. From that scripture and others that we're going to be reading in a few minutes, I'm going to be preaching about imprisoned faith. Imprisoned faith. I know that I think they're going to try to move that imprisoned part down. It was down earlier, and it got a little messed up. So you see a couple of words there, a couple of, uh, a couple of letters there that are missing, but it's imprisoned faith. Lord Jesus, touch our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our souls, our bodies. We so desperately want to hear from you. We want to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. So, Lord, do a work today that only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. As I was thinking about this message, and I've actually had this message uh, for a couple weeks or so, and, in fact, I, I totally forgot that Brother Brown was preaching last week, so I was ready to preach this last week, and then the Lord redirected me uh, and reminded me that I wasn't going to be preaching last Sunday, so uh, I feel like the Lord has this for us today. But I, I want you to begin to think about faith. I want you to begin to think about maybe the promises that God has personally spoken into your life, or maybe the prophecies that have been spoken over your life things that you feel like God wants to do. Uh, it could be dreams, visions. It could be uh, just the Spirit of the Lord somehow upon you, speaking to you, impressing to you what He wants to do, not only in your life, but in the church. Now, as you begin thinking in those terms, I was reminded how Elisha, uh, that what he was obviously Elijah's servant, uh, really is better described that he was his assistant uh, for about eight years. When uh, Elijah was out about to be taken by the Lord, he asked Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha said this, he said, I would like a double portion of your spirit. So Elisha asked Elijah, I would like to have double what you have. We see as we study Elisha's life, he was a prophet for about 60 years. And a long time ago, several years ago, I did a study of the lives of these two men, and I began to compare their lives. I was wondering 
uh, how many miracles did Elijah do and how many miracles did Elisha do. And so as I begin to study their life and I begin to study the things that they did, I found this, that Elisha, when he died, he did exactly one less of a double amount of the miracles that Elijah did. I was perplexed. I began to think about how it was Elisha that asked for that double portion, but yet when he died, according to the way we look at it, it wasn't a double portion. It was just one short of a double of what Elijah did. And so I began to talk to the Lord, and I thought, Lord, it isn't fair that Elisha asked for double, and when he died, he had not yet accomplished it. Then the Lord showed me that, and I want you to think about this, kind of stick with me for a few moments. When Elijah asked Elisha for a double portion, he was asking, I'm sorry, when Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion, he was not asking God, he was asking the man of God. I want you to think about that. And then as I studied further, I found that something really awesome happened in 2 Kings chapter 13, starting at verse 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invited the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass, this is verse 21, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up upon his feet. So it was even after Elisha's death that that promise he had asked for, that miracle that he had asked for, although he was dead and in a grave and his bones were there, the promise was still alive. The faith was still alive. The request had not died with him. Can somebody say amen? Our dreams and our visions should be bigger than we are. I want somebody to hear this preacher this morning. You can have little dreams if you want, or you could have big dreams if you want. You could have a little vision if you want, or you could believe God for something that is greater than you are. I'm living in an hour that I believe this is what the Lord wants from His people. To have dreams and visions that go far beyond their capabilities. Uh, far beyond their ability to do for themselves. Uh, that are higher than we are and deeper than we are and further than we are. God wants us to have faith that will outlive us. So I thought again. It was not God that promised the double portion. And again, I want you to kind of bear with me for a few moments. It was Elisha that asked Elijah. 
And Elijah was the one that said, okay, if you see me when I go, it's going to happen. It wasn't God that promised, was it? Look at your Bible. Now I want to ask you another question. Who is it that does miracles? Hello? Who is it? I can't do a miracle. You can't do a miracle. No matter how much faith you have and ability you have, you, can't, you are not the healer. You're not the miracle worker. But it was Elisha that asked Elijah, and Elijah was the one that promised. But it was not Elijah that could do the work in the first place. And the Lord began to talk to me about how that God will back us up if we have enough faith to believe. So I ask you again, did anyone ever, anyone ever other than the Lord ever perform a miracle? And we would have to say no. He used them. He used their faith. He used their prayer. But it's God that does it. It was Elijah that said to Elisha that he would get what he asked for, but it was not God that said it. So God, as I said a moment ago, showed me something that he will back us up. Amen. If you have enough faith to believe it, God will do it. I felt like the Lord, and I, I, I penned that into my notes this morning. If you have enough faith to believe it, then God will do it. One thing I think we have got to be careful of uh, is that our, our faith many times has been stymied uh, by what we see going on around us uh, and what the wind that is blowing and the waves that are roaring and the things that we are fighting uh, and the things that we faith uh, that, 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 that challenge our faith. Uh, those are the things that hinder what we really can potentially do in God. Uh, I'm looking at people today that can do an awesome thing in the kingdom of God uh, and that God can use you in a mighty way. You might be you might say, well I'm just little old me, but little old you can do great things if you will let God do it uh, and if you will have the faith. So God had Elijah's back in fulfilling the promise he made to Elisha. Then there is the timing of that last miracle. I wonder if Elisha died thinking that he was a failure. I wonder if when he died, he felt that life was not fair and that God did not come through for him as he expected. Now, I don't have the answer for that, and I don't believe anybody does. But what we do know is this, that even after his death, that God used Elisha's bones and did a miracle raising a man from death to life. Now I want to show you another story for a few moments. In the Old Testament, Joseph was about 17 years old when his brothers plotted to kill him and then sold him into slavery instead. So he was about 17 years old. And to them, he was a dreamer. How many of your parents have got a dreamer? 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes they're, they're just the daydreamers. You know, they're kind of, their eyes are glossed over and they're looking out into the abyss. You know, they're just looking out at things and, you know, uh, those, those, day, dre- those daydreamers are the kids that you get the calls from the teacher about. Hello? <laughs> All right, I see a few parents that are shaking their heads. You know, you, that's the one you get the calls from the teacher that say, you know, I told them what to do, and they just sat at their desk going, huh? <laughs> Hello? And so you know what it's like to have somebody that's a, a daydreamer or a dreamer. I would say to somebody, in fact, going back to this for just a moment, Joseph shared his dreams of what would happen to his brothers and to his father, and his brothers hated him for his dreams. His father pondered it at least, but his brothers hated him to the point where they had plotted to take him and not only take him but to kill him. They were going to kill him because of his dreams. I would say to somebody this morning, be be careful who you share your dreams with. Because not everybody's going to agree with you. Not everybody has the faith that you have or the belief that you have. And so they they were jealous. They were also jealous over their father's favoritism towards Joseph. They wanted to kill him. They wanted his dreams gone. And so they ended up selling him into slavery. And from the age of 17 until he turned 30 years old, Joseph was a slave and he was a prisoner. Do you still have that? And so I wonder, did his dreams and visions die with him when he was in prison? We're talking about imprisoned faith. And so from 17 until he turned 30 years old, uh, Joseph was a slave and he was a prisoner. And things went from bad to worse. And everything he dreamed was like it was in a prison cell with him. After a number of setbacks, and I don't have time to get into it, including being falsely accused by someone, God used him to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And in less than one day's time, and somebody needs to hear this, Joseph woke up one morning in the prison, not just in the prison, but in the depths of the prison, where it was smelly and rank and nasty and, uh, you know, uh, uh, mice and rats were crawling all over the place and bugs, and it was just... It was disgusting, but he woke up that morning in prison, and God was about to take his dreams. God was about to take his faith. God was about to take his vision and say, you are not going to be in prison any longer. And so he woke up in the prison, but by that night, he was was sleeping on silk sheets, and he was in 
amen, a place of great honor. Amen. He was in, uh, amen, a place that was a great blessing to be. Uh, he was no longer in the prison, but he was in the castle. He was there with those that are now serving him and bringing him food. Uh, somebody needs to hear me this morning. Uh, I don't know what's challenged your faith. Uh, I don't know what kind of battles have bumped up against you. And it seems like God has told you this, but all these things are fighting against you and pushing against you. And it seems like your faith is imprisoned. It seems like everything is closed up around you. It almost seems like your prayers don't even go up to the heavens. It seems like you're praying to a cement ceiling and they bounce back down. But I'm going to preach to somebody today and tell you when God is ready to open that door, no man can shut it. When God is able to do that miracle, there's no man, no devil, no government that can stop it. When God is going to take you from the prison house, when God is going to take your faith and your dreams and say, now it's going to happen. Now is the time. Now is the moment. It's going to happen. It's going to come to come to pass. That family member that you've been praying for for years, when they come to a knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ, although you have preached to them for years, all of a sudden it's going to be a like a light bulb that's going off in their head, and they're going to say, I got it. I got it. I understand it. I believe it. That person that you've been praying for for years, when it comes to pass, it's going to happen. I fear that too much of our faith is locked behind prison walls, locked behind those steel bars, and we simply have gotten to the place where we give into it, and we say, well, maybe it's not going to happen. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. If God said it, he will do it. Amen, somebody. And so Joseph had a season when it looked like his dreams would never happen. A season. Now, it was a 17-year-long season or a 13-year-long season, but it was still a season. Now, some of you just shut down on me. You put your hands on your proverbial hips and say, I ain't waiting 13 years. I want to show you something, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding. Unto him that is able to do, it, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I need, two, I need two helpers real quick. Where's, come on, two helpers. I need two. Oh, don't, don't race my wife. You don't want me to break a hip or something like that. So the scripture says, oh, by the way, for all you that are lying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to turn my back to you for just a minute. All right, and to you that are here too, I guess. So the scripture says that he is able to do what? Somebody shout it. 
exceeding abundantly above all that we can or now let's do it again you need to get this he is able to do what above all we can or think thank you you can sit down now I want to show you a couple things it says now unto him who's him okay now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above somebody say say above okay above means what above okay it, it it's higher it's you know you you ask here or you even ask down here but he is able to do not just above Come on, somebody, not just above. If we can believe down here, then above would even be here. But exceeding abundantly would be way up there. I should, I should have had the scaffold in here. I should have rolled the scaffold in here and just said, okay, we believe down here, and then climbed all the way up to the top of the scaffold and say, well, God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Now, do you believe that so far? Okay. I think the floor just dropped out or something. Do you believe that so far? So far? I'm going to read it again. Now unto him that is able to, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, according to the power that worketh in us, I still can't do the miracle, but the power that works in me can do the miracle. It's still not me. God flows through me, and God flows through you. Now, I looked at the word power there where it says, according to the power it comes from that same Greek word, dunamis, which talks about like an explosive power. It's also that same word that's used in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that type power. But what it basically means is this, that it is a miraculous type power. So according to that miraculous power that worketh in us, this is why I go back to what I said before. If we can believe it, God can do it. And so how is it that we can struggle so much with believing in God and His goodness? Now I understand that God is not going to answer every prayer and every request exactly like we want it. Some people are going to die. Some people are going to get sick. Some people are not going to get well. It is not in my talents and abilities and knowledge to understand why God heals this one and doesn't heal that one. Why God raises that one and doesn't raise that one. But in all honesty, that's not my problem. Because it's the devil that will try to get us to doubt God. 
I feel like the Lord is going to speak to us today. So whatever you can ask and think is trumped or done. God can do much better than what we can ask or think. He's able to do far beyond that. But what we need to do is to let our dreams and our faith out of prison. And for somebody today, your dreams might need to be resuscitated. I used to be a lifeguard. I probably should have kept it going, but I didn't. But I used to be a lifeguard. And they trained us on how to bring somebody back to life. You put your mouth over their mouth, and you pinch their nose, and you tilt their head back, and you breathe into them. And you put a few breaths of air into them, and then you get out, and you take your hands, and you put one on top of the other, and you begin to push down on their chest. So that that blood will, the, the, the breath brings the oxygen in, and then, and then you're pushing on their chest and their heart. So then it will push that oxygen out to the other parts of the body. It is called resuscitation. Somebody here needs to let God breathe new life into your vision, into your faith, and into your dreams. Just let God put his hands upon your chest and begin to push down and tell you that, hey, hey, hey oh, I, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. That what he told you he would do, he's still going to do. Even though everything seems to lock it behind prison walls, it's going to happen. We have to be honest with each other. There's a lot of things that hinder or try to hinder our faith. Is there anybody here that things have attacked your faith? You know, you felt like God was going to do this, and all of a sudden you find yourself back here somewhere. It's like, hey, God, what happened? I was supposed to be over there. And there's many voices that speak against the promises of God. If the devil can talk you out of it, uh, then he might as well, uh, 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 you know, keep trying because you know what? Uh, he can try to talk all he wants, but I still believe God's voice trumps his voice all the time. Uh, and what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. Uh, I remember one of those promises years ago uh, when somebody prophesied and said that our church was going to have a 200-person youth choir. It happened hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And even if it doesn't happen during my lifetime, it's still going to happen because if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. For a moment, let's go to Adam and Eve. Satan said to Eve, did God say? And that's what he he, you know what, that started all the way back in Genesis, and he's been saying that same stupid remark ever since. Come on, somebody, help me out. 
He started it all the way back with Eve. Did God really say, or, or basically he was challenging God's authority or ability to do it or challenging their faith and their understanding? Well, really, you know, maybe you didn't hear it right. And so ever since then, the devil's been saying that to all of us. When you receive the Holy Ghost, what's the first thing that the devil says to you? Oh, that was your flesh. That wasn't God. Amen. Brother Brown's been teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and, and, and one of the things that I tried to say the other day in one of the comments as we were talking about it, discussing it, I said, you know what, the devil will try to talk people out of it. Uh, amen. If God uses you in the gifts of the Spirit, what's going to happen is a few minutes later, the devil's going to jump on you and say, ah, oh, that was your flesh. That really wasn't God. Remember this, he's a liar. So when the devil opens his mouth, he's not going to tell you the truth. And even if he does perchance tell you the truth, it's going to ultimately be to deceive you. So when he opens his mouth, he's lying. When God says one thing, the devil will always try to counteract that and somehow tell you that's not really what God meant. Uh, but if God said he's going to heal somebody, if God said he's going to touch somebody, if God said he's going to do a miracle, what we need to do is let our faith uh, out of prison and let God do what he said he would do. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove, and notice this, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Some of you have been praying for a loved one that, uh, you know, they're, they're a different faith. They're a different set of beliefs, and you pray for them, and you're, you're believing for their salvation, and they keep going to the same church that's teaching the same false things. Hello? Should you stop praying or keep praying? Because remember, it's not you that's going to change them anyhow. It's got to be an act of God. And so if you have a family member that's in false beliefs and you, you want them to, to come into the truth, then just keep praying for them. Put him, back, put him or her into the hands of God. In Matthew 19, 26, it says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here's what I feel like the Lord challenged me with. We like to have our nice, clean, organized, controllable faith. We keep it in our little box. We don't want it to get crazy now. You know, we don't want it to go extreme I mean, if I tell somebody what I really believe, they're, they're going to put me in a rubber suit and lock me away in a padded cell somewhere. Hello? <laughs> so we tell them what's manageable, what we can control. But the reality is you can't control God. You can't lock him down. You can't lock him up. 
He can go into the prison, but he's not going to stay in the prison. And so he can go far beyond anything you can imagine or ever think and do far and above anything we could ever imagine or think. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the, what? The rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith that is behind prison walls and prison bars is that belief that you stopped praying for or that thing that you stopped praying for because it's just been too long. So, now somebody might get mad at this, but I'm going to say it. Either God is a liar and his word is not true, or he is who he says he is, and he can do more than we could ever imagine. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 12. Starting in verse 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. How many of you have ever been in a 24-hour prayer meeting, you know, or, or have had, you know, we, we've had them where, where we have everybody sign up for an hour and we're praying 24 hours a day for a week or whatever? You get 7 o'clock in the morning, you pray from 7 to 8, you know. Anybody ever get involved in one of those things, praying for 24 hours? Okay. So Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God. 24 hours a day, they're praying for Peter. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the prison door kept, or before the, uh, the prison kept, before the prison door, or the door kept the prison. All right, so, so picture it like this. Here's Peter, he's sleeping. And they got a soldier on this side and a soldier on that side. A chain from him to, the, to Peter and from Peter to the other. And so not only that, but he was in the prison. Verse 7 says, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he sm smote Peter on his side. All right? Kind of like this. Hey, dude, get up. What happened to creeping in because you don't want the soldiers to hear? <laughs> Hello? And so, I'll read it again, starting verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door of the prison. So, so there's plenty of soldiers there. Verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. So the, so the angel comes in, just kind of goes over and goes, Get up. And then he picks him up. And as he picks him up, the, 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 the chains fall off of his hands. 
Everybody got it so far? And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, in other words, put your clothes on, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment or your cloak upon you, and follow me. And, and so, so here is Peter. He, 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 he ties down his Nikes, okay? He puts his, uh, you know, or Jordans, if you like Jordans better, whatever. Okay, so he puts his sneakers on. He's got his clothes on. He takes his cloak and puts over his shoulders. And the angel says, follow me. So, okay, he's following him. Everybody got that so far? And so, I want to read that part again. Cast thy garment upon thee and follow me. Verse 9, and he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. Does anybody know what that means? He thought he was dreaming. All right? Any, any of you sleepwalk? He just thought he was sleepwalking. He thought he was in a dream. All right? So he said he thought, it says he thought he had a vision. Verse 10 goes on. When they were past the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth to the city, which opened to them of his own accord. In other words, here they're walking. The gate just opens. He walks out. All right? And passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And so they're walking down the street. Peter's walking down the street, and boom, the angel's gone. And he's standing there still thinking he's having a dream, all right? Now, there's faith for you. <laughs> and so, so what verse was I on? Verse 10. Okay. Now, verse 11. It says, and when Peter was come to himself. Now, if you can do this appropriately without somebody hitting you, Pinch your neighbor or yourself. Okay. It's like he pinched himself and he realized this just happened. And so when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, they wanted to kill me. They had me in prison. They were going to kill me tomorrow morning. But now, I'm no longer in prison. Verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. I, I hope you get this. So they were praying. And who were they praying for? Peter. All right. And so, verse 13, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to, and hearkened named Rhoda. Verse 14. 
And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran and told how Peter stood before the gate. You're so happy God just did it. You run. You, t- you don't even open the door. You go running into the other room, to the prayer room. Hey, guess what? Peter's here. Everybody got that? This is so flesh. This is so just like you and I. And it says in verse 15, And they said unto her, You are mad. We're having a prayer meeting for him. He's in prison. You're nuts. You're crazy. You're cuckoo. You lost it. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And so they're saying, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're out of your mind. That's what we're having the prayer meeting for, you know. We're having the prayer meeting so he'll be out of prison. And so she's pushing and saying, I'm telling you, he's there. I heard his voice. He's at the door. He's out there knocking right now. And then we look at their faith. Then said they, it's his angel. They killed him. He's dead. And his angel's at the door. Is is that what the Bible says here? Am I just just reading something into it? They said, it's it's his angel. In other words, they're like, oh, we've been praying all night. We've been been fasting for the last seven days, the last three days or whatever. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, they killed him. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were Your miracle is staring you right in the face. And you're like, oh, God can really do it. Just like when God gives you a new car or when God heals your loved one or God, uh, you know, the, the doctor tells you you got cancer, but you go back after prayer that Sunday morning, they anointed you with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Uh, and you go back Monday or Tuesday morning uh, and they look at the x-rays and they say, you know what, last week this was the x-ray, but this week this is the x-ray. And I don't know what happened between that and that, uh, but there's something that was there that is no longer there. Or they're looking at the blood test and saying there was cancer there last week, uh, but there's no cancer this week. Uh, that is faith. Uh, that is belief that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so they thought he was dead, but uh, for somebody today, I'm convinced that as God was talking to me that your faith uh, is kept in prison, uh, that miracle that you've been praying for, uh, amen, is still somehow behind prison walls, uh, and God wants to do something great. Uh, They're going to put up another slide here in just a second, and I want to show you something the Lord has shown me. Number one is this. There's three things here to this. Uh, Faith is a choice. We choose to believe. Here's the second thing. Faith is perseverance. We stick with it no matter what. 
And number three, faith is expectancy. We work towards it. So if we believe and if we have faith, you keep living, you keep working, you keep keep expecting no matter what. Amen. I want you to look at your neighbor for a second and say no matter what. Because remember, your, your flesh, life, circumstances, the devil, whatever you want to name it, is going to try to push against your faith uh, and lock you behind prison walls. Uh, but somebody just needs to open up that door and say, Jesus said it, I believe it. Somebody needs to open that door and say, Jesus said it, I believe it. 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 He said it, I believe it. He said it, I believe it. Amen. I do want to challenge somebody. If you have an escape plan, it's only a matter of time before the opportunity presents itself. Let me explain. If you have in your heart, unless God does this, unless God gives me, and you put a time frame on it. (laughs) See, what happens many times is that we want something to happen, and it could be the voice of God. It might not be the voice of God. It could be our flesh. It could be our, our own heart. So somebody prays, Lord, if, you, if I don't have a boyfriend by the end of this year, if I don't have a girlfriend by the end of this year, if I don't get that unexpected million-dollar check by the end of this year, I quit, I'm done. I wasn't going to say that, Brother Steve. Who are we to try to put God's hands behind his back and hold him hostage and say, if you don't do this, I won't serve you. If you don't do that, I won't serve you. But rather, we ought to be praying, Lord, whether you give it to me or not, I'm still going to serve you. It's okay to pray, Lord, this is what I want. But we should back it up with, Lord, even if you choose in your, in your, in your knowledge, in your understanding, knowing me, if you know me, because you know me better than I know myself, I'm not going to hold you to it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to ask you for it. And I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to stand on it. I'm not going to let my faith be kept behind prison doors. But if you choose not to give it to me, I'm still, I still love you. And I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to be faithful to serve God. Does this make any sense? That's letting your faith and your dream out of prison. Elijah's double portion miracle wasn't fully recognized or realized until after he died. 
I'm not trying to tell you that that's what's going to happen in your situation. What I am trying to do is somehow resurrect your faith and help you to understand that nothing can be held back from God. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. I remember a mom who prayed for her son. She prayed for over 50 years for her son to be saved. And she got cancer and she died. She passed away. But her faith and her belief kept on believing and kept on working. See, I believe somehow in God's economy, every time you pray, that prayer goes up to the heavens, goes up to the ears of God, and he hears it. He never stops hearing it. And so he hears our prayers. And so for 50 years, she prayed for her lost son. She died. It had never happened. But within, within a year of her death, her son gave his life to God and is still serving God faithfully today. I could give you details, but this man was as far away from God as you could ever imagine, as deep into drugs and alcohol and, and an illicit lifestyle as you could ever imagine. When you looked at him, uh, he, he was a shell of a man. Uh, there was almost like when you looked at his eyes, there was, there was no soul there. He was totally given over to that lifestyle. He was totally given over to that drug uh, that drug lifestyle and, and everything he was involved in, uh, amen, tracks up his arms and, and, and down his legs everywhere. He would try to find a place to inject himself with drugs. Uh, he was so deep into it, uh, and people would look at him and say, it's impossible he'll never give his life to God. But his mom's prayers lived on after her death, uh, and he even beca became a man of God, a preacher. It took 13 years for Joseph's dreams uh, to start uh, coming to fruition and to start happening, but it did. It ended up, uh, and this is something the Lord showed me the other day, that, that when Joseph, uh, remember his dreams when he was 12, 13, 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, and for 13 years they were locked in a prison they were locked away and he could not somehow ever realize in his own mind that they were going to happen but when God took him out of prison out of prison one morning and into the palace by the afternoon that was an awesome miracle but God used Joseph not only to save him and his immediate family but to save Egypt and the entire known world in that day The Lord showed me that he protected the future of the Jewish nation, but he also likely saved millions of lives because of God using his vision and his dreams. The other day I read about a man by the name of Ricky Johnson. He was falsely accused and imprisoned for 39 years for a crime he did not commit. He could have gotten out sooner on parole if he admitted his part in the crime. They came to him after several years and said to him, if you will admit that you committed this murder, this crime, we will let you out of prison. He said, I didn't do it. I stand on that today. I will not admit to something that I didn't do. 
And so he could have gotten out, out of sooner, but he refused to do so because he would not admit it because he did not do it. The Innocence Project took his case, and by DNA evidence, he was proved innocent, and he was released. For 30-plus years, he was in prison. For 39 years, he was in prison for a crime he did not commit. What a shame, what a travesty, what a crime it was to keep an innocent man behind bars. But when the truth came out, he was let out. He was released. I believe the Lord wants to do the same thing as a miracle in this house for somebody this morning. And I know, and Brother Kane is going to lead the altar call here in just a minute. But some of us are a little skittish about coming to the altar. But I want you to know that if you believe that God wants to do something in your life or through you, or if God, if you feel like He's going to answer a prayer that you've been praying, this altar is going to be open. In fact, if you would stand with me for just a moment, the altar is going to be open. And I do want you to understand that the moment we start our altar call, we cut off our camera so we are no longer streaming online. So anything that is seen from the moment that we start our altar call, it's just us here in the house of God. They still hear the audio, but they don't see who's coming up for prayer. And so if you feel the need to come up and to have prayer, I believe that God wants to do something extraordinary. I have, I have heard and seen some incredible things in the last few weeks and the last few months. People that have called me and said, I'm praying for this, and I need God to do that. Uh, and God just comes through and sweeps in through the power of his spirit and through his might. And I've had people call, call me up and say, you know that thing we prayed for a couple weeks ago? God just did it. But not only did he just do it, it's so better than I thought it was going to be. It's so much more than even what I was praying for. I was praying for this, and God gave me that. And I believe somehow the Lord is trying to resurrect somebody's faith this morning. That he's trying to take your faith out of prison, get, get it out outside of those, those cast iron uh, uh, bars and get it out into the open where it can have life breathed into it again. God's going to do awesome things. And so as the Lord begins to talk to us and touch us, in fact, if, if people come to the altar, we're going to have our, our ministers come and pray for you if you want us to. Or you can pray alone if you want us to. That's up to you. And if you're online listening right now, I want you to begin believing that God is going to touch your situation. I believe God wants to do awesome things. I, you know, I know everybody's talking about pandemic, and we've even said that a lot here lately. But I just believe that God's going to use this hour. This morning I was online for a moment, and I saw a picture of a huge church in China that China dynamited. They destroyed it because of the attack on Christianity. They destroyed that huge church in China because it was a Christian church. 
And some people say, how can, how can we stand against stuff like that? God is not locked into a building. Those people are still alive. Some of them may be in prison, but they can still witness to the things of God while they're in prison. And those that are, that are out, even though their building is no longer standing, they can still stand for God and stand for truth. We've got to somehow get our mind to, to shift gears from, from where it's at right now into just believing that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to the power that works in me. In other words, he's going to take my prayer. This is a time when prayer warriors, and I, I thank God for, for, for prayer warriors like Sister Deborah and others in our church that God uses so mightily in intercession when you get down on your knees in prayer and the, and the very pits of hell begins to shake uh, under the power of your prayer and people are brought out of prison just because, uh, amen, your prayer ignites uh, with God and somehow an explosion of faith happens uh, and great miracles happen. I believe that God is going to do things uh, in our hour, in, in this hour, that is just going to astound us. It's going to stun us. Uh, we're going to look back and say, wow, God did amazing things. And all of it really comes down to this. I can't do anything, but he can do everything. He, he, he does everything. He can do anything. And so as Brother Cross comes and leads this altar call, if there's anybody that wants to talk to God, this altar's open. Amen.